Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Guardian and David Walker of The Daily Mirror. The world is against Jose Mourinho, apparently. United are victimised. They play too many matches and pick up too many injuries. He needs to spend another 200 million. Now, it's Europa League week. He will probably win two trophies this season. So what's there to complain about, Tom? <laughs> There's always something to complain about if you're Jose Mourinho. We've had it all before. We had it at Chelsea um, in his first season back at the club in the second spell when they got to the semi-finals of the Champions League and there was a fi fixture congestion at the end of the season. They went to Anfield with a shadow team and won 2-0 in the Steven Gerrard game. Um, and then Atletico Madrid overcame them over two legs. It's, it's just what he does. I mean, it is, it is freakish that the number of injuries they're getting and, and to key players as well. But it's just what happens. Mm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an onerous fixture schedule, but it's a, the type of schedule you get if you're successful. Well, you know, nine games in 30 days, he's complaining about that. In 15 of the last 20 seasons, they've actually played more you know, with greater intensity. But don't you think, Mike, Fundamentally, it's Jose creating the siege mentality that he loves and that he basically works off, be it in his dealings with the media, the message he passes out to the fans, how tough it is for him, and to a degree, the way he deals with the dressing room. I think the dressing room thing's been slightly... Um, uh, become a problem for him in the last few months because of the issue over, for instance, the Phil Jones. At one point, Phil Jones was getting hero grams as being one of the key reasons for turning the season round, the stability they had at the back. And then that flips to, well, when is he going to play again? If he really is keen, he should be putting himself up for selection. And obviously the bigger one that has been a player who's got repeatedly uh, kicked in the proverbials is poor old Luke Shaw, who I know for internally there are people in the dressing room saying, hang on, how far can you push your poor lad like that? If you don't fancy him, do the decent thing and sell him, but mm. don't keep kicking him when he has clearly had problems. And, you know, the news today is that Luke Shaw's got ligament damage in his foot, so he's not putting it on. <laughs> there is a, there's a lot of sympathy for him. And is this, does this actually sort of uh, bring out the fact that Mourinho may be a little bit slipping out of his own time in terms of... Most modern managers are emotionally intelligent. They're quite smart in the way that they deal with modern squads. Is he, is he too much of a, a blunt instrument? I, 
I wouldn't go that far. I, I, this is just the way he works, and it's proved successful at every club he's been at. And, you know, as you say, they could walk away from this, this season with two trophies. And, and I suspect that this time next year we will see a Manchester United team competing strongly for the Premier League title, albeit it may be after another £200 million has been spent. Mm. I just get the impression with, with Jose that often when he comes into a club, uh, certainly second time at Chelsea, it took him a while just to gauge what he'd inherited, where the adjustments needed to be made, lavish adjustments. This was similar criticisms that he was issuing to, to Samuel Eto'o, who was a big ally of his from his days at Inter, um, to Fernando Torres when he was there second time around. I mean, he was, he was scathing of the, the, the lack of forwards he had at, at Chelsea. And he, he's doing it now with players that may be a bit more fragile, slightly more... Uh, vulnerable potentially. I mean, we all know what Luke Shaw's gone through in the last um, two years with mm. his injuries. So maybe it does come a bit, it sound a bit unfair, but the reality is he's, he's testing them. And if, if they come through those tests, they will be mainstays for Jose Mourinho's Manchester United team. If they don't, they'll move on. Mm. I, I think just one thing to add on that, and where it's culturally different is, I know from my time covering United and dealing with Sir Alex Ferguson on a daily basis, there were times when he made a call or had decided somebody was expendable, but the time wasn't right and he had to get something out of them or even to keep them with a market value on them. So even though he knew, and I can remember with one player, it was two years from him deciding and the actual exit coming, mm -hmm. but he never went into the, you know, with the disdain of Mourinho of putting people down, almost to keep the market value high and to shift him on, even though he knew that's what he wanted to so do. So there's, there's greater subtlety in his squad management then? Yeah, without doubt, you, that you can be... I mean, if you look at it now, look at the, the, a great example, man. Look at Wayne Rooney. It appeared that Jose was backing him publicly in every way as he was going towards the England goal-scoring record and the Manchester mm -hmm. United goal-scoring record. And he kept reiterating, he is my captain, etc. When he knew that those achievements had been reached, he just bombed Rooney. Now, at that point, remember, and Mourinho didn't deny this, there was still the chance to the end of February, when the Chinese window closed, for Rooney to be sold there. If you look at what's happened since that window closed and the way Rooney's been picked or more to point not picked and just completely frozen out, the value of Wayne Rooney from being, oh, you might get your money back to a Chinese club and he's going to get a deal that's going to make him want to go, his marketability is sinking by the week, mm. you know, literally. And, and that's partly because of the way he's been managed. But the flip side of that is that if, they, if he had allowed Wayne Rooney to leave and then he'd seen Zlatan go down with his knee injury, he would have had absolutely we, another, another player yeah. absent for, the, for what will be a critical run-in. And he, he, needs, he needs all these bodies at the moment, the way people are dropping like flies. Yeah, I, I see today again uh, Raiola, Ibrahimovic's agent, is saying that Zlatan's going to be fine and he'll come back good as new, which he would say, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, that has thrown the spotlight on, on Marcus Rashford. Mm. A lot of discussion about the dive. To me, that basically gives us the clearest possible indication yet over this weekend that people don't really trust the referees to make the right decision. Is it time for video, video assistant referees? Well, yeah, it is time um, because of the level of scrutiny that, that each decision is, is coming under now. Um, it was a bad weekend. I don't think it's, it hasn't been like that every weekend. It's just sometimes they ha you have these weekends where there are three or four incidents. I was, I was at the, the Watford game on, on, on Monday night and Lucas Lever got booked for diving um, in the box. Um, Rashford, Rashford was simulation. Leroy Sane. And, and 
but the, the common denominator between Sane and, and Rashford was that the referee was in a poor position to, to see either decision. Um, and yet he's, he's given a penalty each time, which to me is, yeah. is surprising. I, I saw, I don't even remember this, two seasons ago, the Dutch Eredivisie mm. did the experiment with, and it was done secretly at the time, they only released the footage afterwards, where they had video refereeing going on and a, a, an earpiece for the referee to be told what the call was. People at the games didn't realise what was happening. Nobody knew it was happening. Mm -hmm. But do you know the weirdest thing was? Commentators at match said, haven't we got some great refs and never getting anything wrong? <laughs> you know, because every marginal offside, the thing about that is offside yeah. because of the camera. So it wasn't a case of stopping the game and, oh, let's go up to the studio now. So I think in the long run, Mike, that will come. I've got to say, if we have a reluctance to do that, we currently have a, a review system mainly over acts of violence that the referee... I think we should now look as at acts of simulation that the referees missed and retrospectively punish them mm -hmm. to help stamp it out. Because it is poison in the atmosphere, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Because even with Rashford, you know, people are calling him a cheat. Well, that's a very strong word to use, isn't it? It is, but I don't think we should be afraid to use it. Mm. I mean, look at the... Say Swansea City go down, and, and they, they have been cheated out of points in that game. Um, by a decision that went against them that shouldn't have gone against them, I, 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 don't, I don't think we should. I don't think we should worry too much about the words being used because I think people are playing for decisions. Um, I don't think Rashford's a criminal affair. I mean, he doesn't do it very often. I don't remember other incidents. No, of and, and I think. Do you recall when Glenn Hoddle was the England manager and he brought into the debate? And so you're back in the 90s. This about. If somebody touches you or you feel the contact, yeah. he was telling England players, go down, because that's what the Continentals will do. So, I mean, I think it's something that's probably evolved over the last 20 years, and, and somebody like Rashford's probably come up within that system. My point is, if you are going to stop it, there is only one way. It's no good sending yeah. a memo out to tell your players to stop. It's then if Rashford was to miss the next three games, he's likely to stop the, doing it. The danger we've got is... I think you need an instant decision. You've got to have someone look, as you say, the video assistant referee's got to look at it, make a decision then, because it's it's, it's absolutely no odds to Swansea City if Rashford now gets a three match no. bad. In no. fact, looking at it, if Rashford misses the Palace game at the end of the season, it actually works against <laughs> Swansea City again potentially. So I mean, and, and same for Middlesbrough with Sane. If somebody's making an instant decision, that was a penalty or that wasn't, um, then then fair enough. But, but the caveat on that is there are times when when you slow down these incidents, when they look so much worse mm, than they actually yeah, are. These people mm. are running at full pelt into the box, and, and maybe, maybe they're touching. We, we're not ones to judge, any of us. Um, if, if you're doing it at that, at that pace, maybe a touch does knock you flying. Mm. Let's go into football matters, funny mm. enough. Uh, as I said, Europa League week, um, United are in Spain, sort mm. of ego. On paper, looks a pretty manageable task. Yeah, I, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a scout over in Spain and he said the best comparison he could make, and, and I, I will qualify this, Celta Vigo are virtually a poor man's Atletico Madrid in that the unit, and they are one of the rare sort of middle-ranking Spanish teams where they really have a team spirit and get at you, which is similar to what Atletico Madrid do, but they're nowhere near as good as Atletico Madrid. And full enough, the guy who's seen as their talisman is John Guidetti, mm -hmm. who, of course, spent time and didn't quite make it at Manchester City, had a terrible viral illness when he was over at uh, Feyenoord and was out for 18 months. And I think it was sort of Ronald Koeman time when he gradually came back there and is now seen as the sort of kingpin of a Celta Vigo team. 
who will not lie down or start fracturing as we've seen certain other teams from that area in the past if United get on top of them. They all stick at it and they are a sort of gritty, determined team mm. from a league that's a quality league at the very top and we'll now see it will be a good judge to see can Manchester United sweep aside you know, a middle-ranking Spanish team as they really should. And Yeah, and the form is poor, isn't it? Uh, you know, Celta have lost five out of the last six games in La Liga and you know, they are dealing with, you know, with greatest respect, almost second-class players in terms of, right, Gridetto didn't quite mm. make it, Iogo Aspas, exactly the same, didn't make it at Liverpool. I, I don't think we could judge too much on their league performances. They're a club who would freely admit that, that once they were safe, they, they prioritised the Europa League and they've got into uncharted territory on that. Mm. Um, the, the, the league is, is not a priority for them and the Europa League is. Um, and it's the strength of the collective that, that, that has got them this far and... It, and you can see this this tie becoming a real grind because, with the great respect, United don't sweep teams aside in in the Premier League or in the, in Europe anymore. It's it's uh, the way things have gone and 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 the, with the injuries they, they have to they have to grind out results and hope that little flash mm. of quality sees them through. And the same thing goes in Spain with the severe success in recent yeah. years, mm. where again they were never really seen as going to break into the top two or three and, and win La Liga, but. Look what they did in Europe. This is almost the Celta Vega. That's what we're aiming for now. And Manchester United are obviously seen as a massive scalp for them. If that gritty, determined unit can uh, can pull off another couple of results for them. The other semi-final, David, uh, Ajax mm. and Lyon. Um, Ajax, I think it's nine players of 21 or under. Absolutely. A club which is almost reverting back to type. They have had what they describe as a velvet revolution in that... They won four league titles under Frank de Boer, missed the fifth on the final day of the season, and the fans said the football was boring, they didn't want it, they wanted something more exciting. So they looked at this, they spoke to Jordi Cruyff, and Jordi Cruyff brought in from Israel the coach he had taken there, a guy called Peter Voss, and Peter Voss has overseen this revolution. So the old Ajax exciting, entertaining football the five-second rule where if they lose the ball, they've got to get it mm. back in five. All those things are happening with this team of incredibly young players. The place is getting packed out every week because it's exactly as they want Ajax to play and they've reached the semi-finals of the Europa League playing that way. And I mean, you've got a boy, uh, Matisse Delic, at centre-back. He's 17. Now, they mm. played him in the national team and substituted him at half-time and they do accept there's a limit to him, say, playing three yeah. times in seven days. But you've got the talent, and, and I'm told the biggest teams from all over the world now are currently following Ajax everywhere, such as the talent within that team. And there is a boy, a blonde uh, Dutch midfielder, Donny van der Beek, who is absolutely superb. And you'll, you see that the, the blueprint that Cruyff set of what they want to play is how they're doing it now. And even if it goes wrong, they're not going to panic, you know, because the second in the league and it's likely Feyenoord will win it. But they've got the principles right, mm. and I am told they've still got £120 million in the bank. So they're not, it's not a, mm. we need to go out, they will buy, and they'll buy big at £9, £10, £12 million, normally in South America, but they do not have any intention of squandering that on massive European signings. Yeah. Uh, Dom, you're off to uh, Monaco for the Champions League semi-final mm. against Juventus. Do you see any parallels between Monaco and Ajax in terms of that belief in youth? 
Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, it's, it has taken a while for, for Monaco to get to the stage, and a lot of these players have been picked up. They're not they're not necessarily generated within. Some of them are. I mean, Mbappe is the one that everybody raves about, um, and there, there are others. But Justifiably, I don't, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What what a phenomenon he is. But um, there, I can see why everybody loves watching them. They're just incredible as an attacking force. And even when you've got you know fullbacks like Mendy and uh, Mendy bombing forward, M- Mendy incidentally is. His performances veer from the sublime to the ridiculous. I mean, he's not the finished article. These guys uh, are, are still quite raw. Um, but what they've achieved in France this, this season, they look as if they're going to win Ligue 1, which is an incredible, incredible achievement. Um, even, you know, at a club that's backed by an oligarch, it's still in- incredible to, to, to pit Paris Saint-Germain to that. They're streets ahead of, of the other sort of traditional contenders, people like Leon, you mentioned mm. his eyes, they're 20 points off third. Um, they've got 57 points and Nice are in there in between. Um, so there's there's a lot going right at Monaco and, and the, the worry is this may be their one opportunity because although they may not need to sell in the summer, um, uh, the vultures are, are, are circling. These, these guys will potentially be lured away. Yeah, and with Juventus, David, it's almost you know the same problem that it's almost their last chance with this group of players, you know, with mm. the Buffons and oh, absolutely. And people but don't like you that. see, Mike? I mean, you know, we saw Monaco playing against Manchester City and knocking them out, and you've seen them through this season, and they are thrilling to watch. Yeah. And you, but there's this game of, you know, they're going to score, but you know they're going to let something in, and it's almost like. And then they meet Juventus, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. and then the Two real brutal, <laughs> yeah, and then and Juve, as we saw in the last round. They bring an art form to defending, and a lot of players. And I say this: you see it in the Premier League, where mistakes are made, and you, you know, you hear pundits say, oh, "I can't believe he did that." You don't get that watching Juventus. You don't get that with the communication they've got. Mm. And, and the There's way a they, terrible they, beauty about the absolutely. way they defend, isn't there? And honestly, I remember being at the uh, the uh, Champions League final. Was it about 2002 at Old Trafford? They ended nil nil Juve yeah. against Milan. No, no, no. But you were watching that, and you saw the you know, and it was real quality of the football and defending as an art form that we just don't see. Mm. And that's what this Juventus team have got now. If Monaco can start ripping them to shreds and counter-attacking, it will be fantastic to watch. I've got an awful feeling it's almost like, and then I woke up and the dream was <laughs> <is> over. <laughs> yeah, talking of dreams, Atletico Madrid are in the same situation where you know, it, it is a matter of time before Simeone moves on, Godin is snapped up, Griezmann comes either to uh, Manchester or across the road into Real Madrid. Can they reach the final for the third time in four years? Yeah, of course. Of course they can. They're streetwise. They've got everything about Simeone. Is, is, he, you know, he, he is that team and, 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 and the team that's built in his image. And um, I, Of all the... That's a toss-up between Juventus and Atletico Madrid as to who Real didn't want to play. Um, and I think possibly uh, against a, you know, local rivals, a, a team that knows them from La Liga, I think this is a horrible tie for, for Real. Um, I, I can actually, you can easily see the Juventus Atletico Madrid final, and, mm. the, and in fairness, that would actually, although it may not be the expansive football that you might get from Real versus Monaco, it's it would be a fitting final, mm. um, the, the Simeone against the I, old school Juve. I, I must mm. say, I was alarmed watching the El Clasico a couple of Saturdays ago when you had the game tied, Real Madrid down to ten men, the losing two one, and they get it back to two two with a few minutes to go. And they've got a three-point advantage, so 
the draw's fine. Yeah. And the plan, I just, that's it, that'll do us. Yeah. And yet there was still this sort of bugle being blown and the cavalry were charging. And you thought, this is going to end in tears, fellas. And yet they didn't seem to be able to see out the game at that point. Mm. And you just thought, if that had been an Atletico Madrid game, yeah. Simeone would have been so cute to take the draw, take the three-point lead, we will grind out the league. And that's the one thing I still think Simeone can do against Zidane, that he has that street toughness mm. to kill a game if he needs to and that Real Madrid is still full of this great flamboyance that sometimes can be their undoing. Mm. And, and it was that day. What about the, the almost the eternal attractiveness of playing for Real Madrid in terms of their recruitment? Now, there are some sources who say that David De Gea won't be going, but there is also, at Chelsea, a real fear and a feeling that we could be in summer saga territory with Eden Hazard and going to Real Madrid. What do you think will happen there, Dom? Well, I was convinced that there was absolutely no chance of Eden Hazard um, going to Real this summer uh, until Antonio Conte um, was more publicly cautious on the matter last Friday, and, and, and he had an opportunity there to say to to, to guarantee that, that, that yeah. Chelsea would would knock away any bid from from Real, and yet he he basically said, "Well, look, it's up to the player. The player's will has to come into this somewhere." Now, I think that Hazard is settled at the moment. He's got a young family. He's happy where he is. He's playing wonderful football. He's in a team that's got a Premier League title to win in the next few weeks and then they want to target the Champions League next year and, I, and I, I would be amazed if he opted to sever ties with Chelsea this summer but at some point in the future Eden Hazard will be at Real Madrid mm. There's a lot of noise about transfers inevitably given the money that's floating around you yeah. know, we can play transfer bingo with six players are going to go to United seven players yeah. are going to go to, to City does all that noise, all that speculation sum up one thing that maybe those outside the top two haven't done as good a job as they could have done. Yeah, and I've got to say, even the top two, if you look what's left in the Champions League, you're in the relative stakes if we're making the comparison between the potential champions and our, you know, you put in Chelsea, I think, are going to win it, but you say Chelsea and Tottenham there, and you say, well, hang on, what happened when they were playing in Europe? Where are we on, on, on a long run of seasons now? You know, the, the years of any English dominance are well gone. So I think it, it's a bigger picture. I still think the other thing, Mike, is if you look at it, Champions League has become such an attraction to international players. Can you imagine someone like David De Gea, if he's not in the Champions League next season, reflecting on where he stands if Real Madrid are knocking? Real Madrid might have won the Champions League again. It suddenly becomes a, a, a different picture, doesn't it? Mm. So I, I do think we need our best clubs to be up there. And if you look at it at the moment, there isn't a lot of prospect of that happening in the immediate future. I, I, I think Chelsea will, will offer a proper threat in the Champions League next year. I, I think they'll invest this summer and, and add. Um, and I think one of the reasons that they've done so well this season is that they haven't had European football to worry mm. about. I think next year, if Conte is still there, which I, I think he will be... Um, that, and with, there's, there's a lot of talk again about yeah, Inter Milan, isn't Inter's there? just... I mean, it's just been bubbling along for a, for a while. And until, mm. until Conte actually formally um, signs the contract extension, um, it, it will carry on and the noises will come out, obviously, because there's got to be an ambition at a, a club that's just been bought by Chinese owners in Inter who, who want to make a splash uh, next season. But... Next year, I'd be, I'd, I'd fully anticipate Chelsea carrying the flag in the Champions League for England. Um, Leicester did a wonderful job this year. Spurs underachieved, but then probably to the benefit of their league form. Yeah. 
now and, and, and City, if I'm honest, have just been a massive disappointment all season in mm. all competitions. Mm. What about Lukaku? You know, there's a lot on social media about him spending five minutes talking to Michael Emanalo yeah. in the tunnel. Um, is he of the requisite quality for a team which has ambitions to win the Champions League? I think he is of a very similar style in the sense of the power, pace, etc. of Diego Costa. You do believe he's going to be out the door now. And whether they would have him as part of that, you know, one of the strikers would want to look at. The amount of money Everton are going to demand, because he's still got two years on his contract, as is, will be a you know, huge amount. But the vibes coming out of Everton are... I mean, remember last year we got the same thing that he, you know, he wanted to go back and Chelsea were going to get him and Everton held firm and said no. You do wonder if the right amount and the claim is around £80 million. I'm not sure he's worth that, Mike, but uh, you could see him getting into there. Does he take him up a league beyond Diego Costa? I don't think so. Mm. I, I can't see... They're not buying the, the finished article, are they? I mean, it's, it's, as his goal-scoring, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's been superb, but... Um, in terms of the work rate that Costa puts into no. the team and the sort of unsettling that he does of, of opposing defences, not always you know, in a bit of an underhand way sometimes, but but he, he does a tremendous job for them. Um, and taking that out of the team, putting Lukaku in, I don't think that's a direct replacement. And what about Van Dijk? Yeah, I, I, don't, I think yeah. that's uh, I think that will happen. I think that is a an up. Well, I mean, John Terry is, is on his way, obviously, and they obviously need to, to reinforce their. Um, it would offer them options in terms of where Aspilicueta plays. Um, potentially, he could go to right wing back if needed, which would be an upgrade defensively on Victor Moses. Um, Van Dijk is a great player, and I think it makes sense for Andreas Christensen to go to to Southampton as part of a deal, possibly on a two-year loan or something like that, mm. to gain some Premier League experience. You, but, you can bet he's going to go for centre backs with pace yeah. who you know obviously mm. big lads who can head it but have got the pace to play in that three but the other thing that struck me was um, as of two weeks ago Aspilicueta had the most success yeah. as a passer in the whole of the yeah. Premier League yeah. him having the ball he was more accurate than any other player and you're thinking God, what a quality to have for a player coming out from the back or playing in a wide area. That is quality. If you, if you think what Chelsea have achieved this season so far and on the basis that they probably are going to win the Premier League you know, then go and add Lukaku, plus one other striker, I'd imagine, yeah. up top, Diego Costa on his way. Say Bakayoko in midfield from mm. Monaco and Van Dijk at the back. That's pretty awesome. That's a, that's a spine of a, of a, a team that's going to dominate. Mm. And you've got Gary Cahill sort of almost growing into that leader legend JT role. I'm not sure he's quite there yet, yeah. but but he's yeah he's doing fine. And again, if you're looking at options in your son, he, he's he's a steady Eddie who's in there, isn't he? You'd, mm. you'd have him in there. And I've got to say, David Luiz has defied all my fears about what might go wrong with him. By and large, he's been impeccable, and and the system suits his play as well. Mm. Do you expect Spurs to keep the pressure on Chelsea? You know, do you think they'll cut that lead to one point on Friday night against West Ham? Yes, I. It was a massive test for them Sunday, um, just as it was in midweek at, at Palace. And they've, they've come up with answers each time. There's nothing to say that, they, that their momentum is going to grind to a halt. Well, albeit, I, I remember this time last year, maybe a bit earlier, uh, when they were chasing Leicester, they went to West Ham and lost 1-0 to an early goal. Um, but that was in the, you know, the, the bowling. It was a different kind of atmosphere, different yeah. scenario. Mm. I think that, that West Ham are meandering at the moment. 
it might get their juices flying to play mm. against Tottenham. And let's be honest, Tottenham have answered a huge question because they blew up last year. That yeah, is yeah. a fact. You know, yeah. it wasn't there were a couple. They after April and the setbacks they had with a couple of games, and there was a Sammy Awada. Suddenly, it all started going belly up, and they'd hit the wall. And you've got to say the sign at the moment are very, very positive, yeah, very. Yeah. Mm. And I know last year there were claims Pochettino's response to some setbacks were double training sessions and people complaining they'd left their legs on the training ground. Whatever they're doing this year and how, whatever the regime, he appears to have learned from it and be getting it right. Yeah, the big picture strategy seems to be right. You know, money is secondary to a culture, enthusiasm and this sense of togetherness and unity. I, I agree. I think the philosophy is, is, is admirable and and has worked up to now. I, I, I do worry a bit about Spurs in the future um, because I think at some point money does become an issue. And well, Arsene um, Wenger said the same thing, didn't he? Well, exactly. And if you've got a, a a wage structure that strict, where people like Kane, Walker, Rose, Ericsson, Ali can only really earn seventy-five grand a week, only <laughs> but seventy-five grand a week, and and yet there are clubs in the same division who are willing to offer you four times that amount. Um, I think ultimately it does break up. So there are massive questions for Daniel mm. Levy to answer Correct. and That's whether he's able to, whether he'd be right. willing to. I think change. the Daniel situation, Daniel has always run a tight ship there. And let's be candid, some star players you knew inevitably the day would come and he couldn't resist a deal. He's a deal maker. Now, you add to that the new stadium, the cost of building, and, you know, I remember the days of Arsenal and Arsenal and said, oh, the, the Emirates team's not good, taking anything away from the team and we can manage that. And then in retrospect, they said, well, actually, we've had to stick with this because so much was being affected. We had to shape the team and the spending, etc., around the commitment we had. Now, Tottenham insists, and I take it at face value, the stadium's not going to affect the team. Well, let's just see where they are. So over a three-year period, and if Dele Alli, Harry Kane, Al are still there and the building on it, because I know Tottenham fans who have that deep-down fear that the tradition at the club is at a point they cash in, and that's what I think would eventually drive Pochettino away. It looks like um, Walker's going to yeah. go to City for about £50 million, um, you know, Kevin uh, Trippier has actually made that decision a lot easier for yeah, Spurs, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's done well, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, There's also a murmur about Toby Alderweireld and his contract talks and they're stalling over yeah. a, a release fee. But, but that's, that's going to be the issue. We, we've had this succession of pictures of Pochettino in a suit signing a new contract. And, really yeah. Yeah. and, and that looks great because you're all signing these guys through to 21, 22. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it looks long-term, it looks like a long-term vision, but the reality is... Each summer, each transfer window, um, the resolve of, of, of these players to stay at the club is tested. Um, Walker has been wonderful for, for Tottenham Hotspur and, and, and at face value it would be a, a loss to see him sold. But the reality is, if Pochettino is looking at and thinking, well, if I have to get rid of one player this mm. summer and generate 50, 60 million for him, at least I've got Kieran Trippier to, to, mm. to yeah. fit straight into the team. But Again, it comes back to the contracts. I mean, I, I personally find it remarkable that Pochettino would like to sign, for example, Wilfred Zaha, but the, the contract that Spurs would be willing to offer Zaha is less money than Palace would offer him. I mean, this is Crystal Palace, who, are, who might not even be in the Premier League next season. And that just sums up where they are. I, I actually think that Daniel Levy's got it right. I think it's 
everything about that is admirable, but it's finer, it's got a ceiling. Mm. And if everybody else is, is competing at a higher level in terms of wages... And, and you know the other thing, if, if, if you were a selling club or you have selected a man to sell, if you look at the chaos at Manchester City and the rebuilding needed there mm. and the available cash... And somebody like Pep Guardiola looking for right back and left back desperately, you've just got the blinding deal to be done yeah. because he may be surplus to Tottenham if the, if he wants to force it. Mm. And then you've got a club with shed loads of money, you can force the price up. Yeah, so, I mean, that almost becomes a no-brainer for them all. And everybody thinks they're happy, but it's Manchester City who are going to be paying top dollar all the time. Yeah. Now, at least Spurs have got a plan. You can't say the same thing about Arsenal, it seems to me. They are... All over the shop, aren't they? Well, it's just a state of limbo that we've had all season. Actually, not just one season. We're going back four or five years, probably. Um, the same old problems, the same old issues. I think the, the contractual situation with Ozil and Sanchez has obviously helped the limelight, like, likewise with Wenger, but the reality is the club's sort of been meandering for a while. They have abject results. They get battered at Sellers Park. And they have a little revival, a great win in the cup semi-final. You know, you think, oh, well, they're mm. going to kick on now. And then and they get outclassed, outclassed, outmanoeuvred, thrashed at Tottenham Hotspur. That was a 2-0 thrashing. Um, and at least in some ways now, it looks as if they're going to be out of the top four and something has to change. Because that is a major change for them. Mm. They're used to competing in Europe. They're used to having that to fall back on every time. And now they've got to adjust. They've got to see where they go from there. It, it will ask proper questions at the club. But can it change? Because I, I you know, watched Wenger quite closely um, at White Hart Lane, and you know we're used to his you know, almost like Basil Fawlty esque mm. gestures, and he was obviously consumed with frustration, and he took it out on Steve Bold, who basically was just he just took no, it. Yeah. Now that contrast of a man consumed by his own frustrations and n not seeking answers but just venting. Mm with Pochettino talking quietly with his coaches, getting an idea of some sort of you know, cohesive plan mm. for a game, that's really damning to me. Mm. But don't you think, Mike, there have been two dominant managers of the last 25 years in English football, Sir Alex Ferguson and, and this is a word he always used to use, the control he had at Manchester United, which took him 10 years to achieve, but where the board were listening to him basically wanting to do what he, his vision was. And Arsene Wenger, with all he's achieved at Arsenal, and for many years we've got to salute the work he did and the vision he had for it. But when there was an award, uh, there was a presentation, rather, to Fergie when he was retiring, there was a, a leading light in the LMA made a speech. and I, It was Howard Wilkinson made a speech, and he came out with a line, and I just thought, that is spot on, the insight. And he said this, he said, Alex Ferguson's been the successful manager... But does he take every training session and do all the coaching with that team? No, but he knows a man who can and has had a succession of be it assistant managers mm -hmm. or coaches who he's trusted to work with them. And part of the churn with that is different things going on with it. Does he do all the nutrition, the diet? No, but he knows people who can. And whatever the latest sports science is, they've always been brought in. And without a doubt, at the top of this pyramid at Manchester United was one man and things were going to him to the point that you could argue taking him out caused a problem. Mm. But everybody knew where they were reporting and he knew what they had to do. For me, one of the issues at Arsenal, including the 
Arsene Wenger being asked to give his confirmation of the appointment of a chief executive in <laughs> Ivan Gazidis is that Arsene almost had, has had too much control and that the whole thing is just Arsene stepping in to do it. Arsene speaking it, that I am going to control this and I think that has begun to unravel for them and they need to come up with a new blueprint. Mm. It's a strange game, management. If you look at David Moyes, his career has almost been fractured irrevocably by the one thing that he, he wanted more than anything else, mm. the job at Man United. Mm -hmm. Where does this leave him, Sunderland's relegation? I imagine asking questions of himself and asking whether he wants to, to go into the Championship. People say that he's done it in the Championship before, but he's never taken a team out of the Championship. And you have to go back a long way to Preston, early, early 2000s, mm. to, to, to his time there. And the division has changed quite a bit since then. Um, and, and moreover, that, that club is an absolute mess. I mean, it's a, again, it's in limbo in, turn of the, in terms of the ownership. Um, have they got saleable assets? Jordan Pickford, they won't get very much money for, for Jermaine Defoe. Um, Kone, maybe? Well, Kone, yeah, he'll move on. But, but the debt, level of debt, you're not going to eat into that. It's not as if suddenly Ellis Short's going to turn around and say, OK, like, like Newcastle, you can generate some money and you can spend it and the money will go straight into to clearing some of the debt I'd imagine it's mm. it's hard to see how they have a, a resurgent season next next year so it's whether then David Moyes is is a he, whether he's willing to take on a job that's going to be that it's a long 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 term job and b whether he feels that the supporters will even have him do that because they've turned in recent weeks mm. he's never been one of you know life stand up comedians has he David Moyes he seemed especially defeatist, especially in the last sort of six months or so. Yeah, I, I, I've got to say, I think it, the biggest issue there is how do you actually make a club a success when everybody knows the owner doesn't want to be there, yeah. it's for sale and he's it's not going to make any commitment. Yeah. Now, I mean, if I was advising David Moyes, I'd say, David, get out of there now because unless there's new backers and they're going to transform the way Sunderland's being run, mm. it, it's a no-hoper at the moment because... Ellis Short isn't going to make any commitment like that. I mean, to be fair now, so do I use the words to be fair when I'm talking about Mike Ashley? Maybe not. But <laughs> Mike Ashley was a constant thread through that Newcastle thing. There was a stability, even if it's Mike Ashley you're working for. Ellis Short's made it absolutely clear he wants to cut and run and cut and run and cut. You know, he keeps saying this. Mm. He's no interest in it. So David Moyes would be wise getting out. And if we knew anybody being asked, do you want to come and be the Sunderland manager? Somebody will, because they always think they can work the miracle. But it, to me, it looks a nightmare scenario for anybody until the ownership's resolved. Yeah. Mm, but it's not you know, set in stone that if you've got an owner wish, wishing to sell, that the whole thing's going to collapse. You look at look at Hull. Now they they've lucked in mm. with Marco Silva. There's still instability at that club. They still want to sell it. Yeah. Yet they've got a good chance of getting out of this, haven't they? They've got they've got a great chance of of, of getting out of their current relegation issues, but whether they've got a great chance long-term yeah. if the instability remains at the top I is another thing. And they may have another you know, I mean, difficult like, year next year. My, you know, we, it always comes around to the debate of manager of the year and things like that. And you look at, obviously, Conte of what he's achieved at Chelsea. There, and you look at there. Sean Dyche, Dyche keeping yeah. Burnley up would be the sort of middle ground of, isn't this remarkable? You look at the guy at Hull and what's yeah. happened. So, I mean, they yeah. were absolute... 
doomed, weren't yeah. they? You know, just written off and Sold the chaos the best around players when he came Absolutely. In well. And then what he's done and this whole thing of still never having lost a home game. I mean, what intrigues me in that scenario now is if Hull and Swansea keep winning games, particularly this weekend, you can see a scenario where Crystal Palace get dragged back into this mm. from being in a position where, what, maybe one, two weeks ago, everybody said, well done, Sam, Palace is safe, you know, you've cracked it. And yet, the way they keep going, there is still the hint that the, the two of them could get out here. The club you know well, Dom, what mm. do you think? I remember 1993, I'm afraid. Um, Palace thought they did a lap of honour after their final home game of the season, going into the last week, and they beat, they beat Ipswich, they were seven points clear, um, and everything was, was rosy. I thought they were nine, they were nine points clear, nine points, no, sorry, seven points clear. And then, then Oldham then won at Aston Villa the next day, they won against Liverpool in midweek, when Palace got what appeared like a creditable draw at Manchester City, and then, uh, you know, it all went wrong on the last day and they got relegated with 49 points which was enough to get into the Europa League pretty much this <laughs> season so look, look, I'm scarred by that for life and I always will be um, and uh, yeah it's 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 playing on people's nerves at Sellers Park I think but the other way of looking at it is that their destiny is in their own hands Hull and Swansea would far like prefer to be in Palace's position mm. six points clear with three games to go particularly with one of those matches against against Hull City. Palace have got three opportunities to get it right. Swansea have got to win all their games, really, mm. or at least get seven points. Yeah, because Hull have got Sunderland, which mm. you pretty much think is a three-point banker for them. Mm. Swansea have got Everton. Yes. Tough to beat. Absolutely. That, that, I mean, the Everton one at the moment. I, I always just think, you know, if you look at it as a football fan, you'd actually say at the end of the season, if you're not Arsenal, Man United, Man City this year with all the pep hype and the, They've had the view, we're going to win the league, we're going to win this, we're going to do it, and it, there's a disappointment. I think if you were some of the other clubs, you'd be looking, have we made progress? Can you actually see we're getting better? And I think Everton, okay, largely yeah. under Ronald Koeman, especially, I mean, the, the home form have been great until the weekend. I think Everton fans believe that they can see this, there, there's, a, there's a transition, but they're getting better. Now, the intriguing thing is, so much of it has been based on really playing at home, some of the away games, be it the recent nil-nil at West Ham, have been pretty dire. So, Everton at Goodison are one prospect, and if you're yeah. down in the bottom four, playing Everton on your home patch is different. So I think that's and as we know that the issue is Hull don't get every game at home because the whole home form suggests even the other week when they had ten men and winning, you know, is astonishing. And Hull's, it'll come down to it'll come down to that Palace Hull game, I think, which is the penultimate weekend, and and that is a, that is a game that. Palace will look at it and think they can get out of it, and Hull will think if we can win there, then we may well be above Crystal Palace at that point. Mm. In which case, you know, they're laughing because they've got Spurs on the last day, which isn't easy. Yeah. What about um, Swansea in terms of Paul Clement? Mm. You know, seasons hinge on big decisions by boards. If they'd have had the foresight to go straight to Paul Clement instead of going to Bob Bradley, would they be in this mess? Um, personally, I. No, I don't think they would. Um, I, I, I think Clement does a lot right. Um, he's a very good coach. Um, I think he's still learning on, in, in terms of the managerial front, and I think he was shocked by that six-game winless run when, with only one point in that time at home to Middlesbrough, and, and that that sort of came out of the blue because they, they looked as if they turned the corner. Mm. Um, and I think that was more of a reflection of, of the... Um, 
the, the playing squad and, and a playing squad that I think is actually not, not been good enough. I think Clement could have done with a bit a bit more investment possibly in, in January and if he'd, if he'd been given that time, if he'd had the sort of time that Bradley had to assess what he had, what he'd inherited and then could add more in, in January, they would, I think they would have been fine because they've got players like, people like Sigurdsson just make a massive difference. Yeah. It's not as if Sigurdsson's been injured at any point. Yeah. He's, he's, he's played and he's excelled throughout and it's been deficiencies at the back, it's been... It's been a lack of options up front as well. When Laurentiis out, they're, they're, they're blunted. Um, and I think he would have addressed that in January. But I do think that even if they do go down, and it's, it's no, no guarantee that they will, I think if they stick with Clement, I think he will get them playing the type of football they want to play. Um, and he stands a great chance of bringing them straight back up. And he's had a fantastic apprenticeship at the biggest clubs, mm. which brings us on as a final point to the Champions League again. Mm. Um, this is the business end of the, the tournament. Who do you see going through to the final, both of you? I see Real Madrid getting through that. I can see reasons why they won't, but I'll go Real Madrid, Juventus in the final, and I see Juventus winning it. I'll go Atletico Madrid, Juventus final, but Juve winning it. I'm with Dom. Max Allegri is under contract at Juve until 2020. I think he'll win the Champions League, and maybe, just maybe, end up at Arsenal. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.